So hey, we're chugging right along in our, uh, it's an 18-week sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, just a fair warning, uh, this week and next week are going to be heavy, and if you go to like preaching school, you never start your sermon like that, but I just did. Uh, so this morning, we're going to see Jesus continue to bring uh, the Old Testament law into further fulfillment, or like a more clear picture. Uh, and this morning is like prime example of Jesus kind of taking a spotlight and then widening it out and shining something on the Pharisees uh, that they just boiled down to this simple command that would be easy to follow. Uh, if you missed last week, we talked about the habit that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the habit that they were in, that they would take like a little command or a rule that was hard to follow, and then they'd boil that commandment down a little bit, make it a little less stringent uh, so it's a little easier to be obedient to that rule. And in all reality, they were showing themselves, what they're showing themselves, what they weren't following the rule to begin with. They were just messing it up so bad, it was just disappeared. So Jesus knows this when he's preaching, and these people are kind of hearing him. He knows this. He knows what they're doing. He knows what the culture is. They're just a bunch of people uh, with this external obedience, but inwardly, uh, they just jacked everything up. Uh, and last week, we talked about how it applied to things like murder, anger, ultimately like reconciliation. This morning, we get to talk about the really fun topic of adultery and lust, uh, so if you brought a friend with you this morning, or this is your first time here, I am sorry. Uh, so we have a lot to do this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew chapter 5. While you do that, I am going to plead with the Lord for His help. Uh, God, thank you for today. Uh, God, I pray, uh, Lord, what an amazing time of worship that was. I pray that your spirit is just palpable in this room. Uh, Lord, only your Holy Spirit can bring conviction of sin, and only your spirit can bring repentance of sin. Uh, so, God, I pray that we take you seriously. We take your scripture seriously. Uh, speak through me. Give me words of gentleness. And, uh, God, just be with us this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so again, Jesus is taking the same pattern as he does a lot in chapter 5. He's going to take a well-known commandment, uh, he's going to explain what it truly means and how the religious leaders messed it up, and then he's going to give us practical steps to take just to steer clear of disobedience. Uh, so Matthew 5, starting in verse 27, uh, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, again, you don't have to dig deep into what Jesus is referring to. Last week was the sixth commandment, do not murder. This week is the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. Uh, the culture that Jesus is in is what we would call an honor-shame culture. Uh, so that culture itself actually led to a very low rate of adultery because uh, to commit adultery was to bring like the ultimate shame on your family. And this is actually one thing that's a lot different than our culture today. Uh, we don't live in an honor-shame culture anymore. We live in a culture where the things that were once shamed are now honored and the things that were once honored are now shamed. It's like backwards. Uh, but even though our culture is backwards and may be different from the audience that Jesus was speaking to from an outward perspective, again, the human heart hasn't changed in the 2,000 years since Jesus gave this sermon. In regards to our sinful desires, uh, oftentimes those are the things that lead the way. Uh, verse 28, just as Jesus does, he kind of ups the ante. Uh, he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
Uh, so just in the last two weeks, we've seen Jesus pretty much shine this spotlight that's very, very telling on what our human heart looks like. Uh, last week, the call to action was, hey, if you've offended anyone in your life and you're responsible for driving a wedge in the middle of a relationship, I told you last week, get up and go reconcile. I have a conversation this week, and I knew me saying those words, that's not an easy task to accomplish. But there's some of you in here who might have just been like, hey, Michael, I'm an expert relationship manager. I prayed and prayed and prayed. There's not one person that I need to reconcile with. That's awesome. Uh, now Jesus is going to shoot another bullet at you and see how well you do with your perfection on this one. Uh, Jesus is now throwing like two commandments at us, the tenth one and the seventh. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, seventh commandment, you should not commit adultery. Tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Uh, Jesus isn't putting lust on par with adultery. Just as last week, he's not putting anger on par with murder. All of those things are equally sins, but not all sins are equal. It's again, it's an issue inwardly of our heart. And Jesus, in his divine nature, knows that it's a condition that all of us have. Uh, take sexual relations out of it. We do everything we can as human beings just to make external actions make everything look good. Uh, even at the most basic levels, we focus on outward appearance. Uh, my wife and I have a garage gym at our house. So Monday through Friday, we do our absolute best to wake up and work out in our garage at 5 a.m., mainly because my kids aren't up yet. Uh, so call us crazy. That's what we do together. Um, that's what we share together. Uh, personally speaking, it's the best part of my entire day. Uh, but 5 a.m. is early, and it makes you question what you're doing. Uh, especially like Thursday, Friday, when the week's been long, all you really want to do is sleep in. Uh, it leads you to contemplation of like, why am I out here doing this? Uh, so the other day I asked Kristen, I said, hey, Kristen, what's your motivation for being out here and lifting weights? It's like 38 degrees. We're both freezing cold. Uh, we could be in bed right now. Uh, my wife, who's fully sanctified, really doesn't have any flaws. She says, well, Michael, I just want to be healthy and make sure my heart's in good shape. Why? What about you? Michael, who's not fully sanctified, has many a flaw. Uh, I'm sitting there like, yo, I never really thought about why we do this in the first place, but I started to think like, why am I out here? And I'm just like, why? And it's like, uh, I just, Chris, I just want to look good. Like, I don't need to be like jacked, but I don't want like the buttons of my shirt to split while I'm up here preaching on Sundays when I watch this back on video. So for her, it's health. For me, it's like vanity, like outward vanity, like stupid stuff. Because what does it matter anyway? Like none of you care about my intentions of why I work out. But that's what we do with things ser serious, like what Jesus is talking about. It's like, oh, I know I have a lust issue, but I just keep that to myself. My wife doesn't know, nor will she ever know. My husband doesn't need to know that my eyes like to wander and he's not enough. It's like outwardly I treat my spouse well, inwardly I focus on everything but my spouse, but at least I treat her well outwardly. In that case, if those are your true inward actions, like it's all good as long as my spouse doesn't know, your marital relationship isn't genuine whatsoever. And that's what Jesus is addressing. He's saying the heart of the matter, look at what your heart says. That's why to give your life to Christ, 
To submit your life to the lordship of Christ means that a ton of changes need to be made and there needs to be full dependency upon him in every area of your life. But you tell me, if that's you in this room, where your marriage, your relationship outwardly looks great, but you lust after other men and women in secret, how's that going for you? Is that eating away at you at all? Does that thing that you know is inward and has never been brought to light, does that feel like chains of bondage on your life that you can't escape? Is it affecting the way you serve your spouse, whether that's serving her or him, mentally, physically, and spiritually? If so, tell me why freedom that's only found in Christ, while that sounds like it's really hard to follow, tell me why that freedom isn't worth if it's going to lead you to the breaking of chains and a truly flourishing relationship. So what do we do about this? If a lot of us in this room are guilty of it, what do we do about this? What's the action step? Well, luckily for us, Jesus tells us. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So if you're new to church this morning, you're probably like, man, this isn't like warm, fluffy, nice, blow-dried hair Jesus that I've been told about. Like, tear my eye out, cut my hand off, like, this dude's intense. This is where, like, how you interpret the Bible is key. Throughout history, like, since Jesus said these words on that mountain, uh, some have taken, like, more than extreme measures to follow what he's saying, meaning that body parts have been cut off so that temptation would not be present. Go home and Google this guy, Origen. Uh, but again, if you do something like that, if you're taking this how it's not meant to be taken, you're again missing the point of what Jesus is getting at. It's the heart that needs transformation, not my eye, not my hand, not anything else. It's the heart. So cutting out those things or cutting off those things is external. It's the inward that we have to look at. Uh, what Jesus is trying to say is that we should actually take sins on the sexual sin spectrum, so not just adultery, not just lust, not just pornography, just the whole entire sexual sin spectrum, but that's not popular today, to take those things and confess them or just kill them. Uh, sin in our society, sadly enough, is no longer viewed as like, I'm offending God. It's more like, no, you have sin in your life, sexual sin in your life, uh, that's diagnosed as an illness that you have. Uh, instead of condemning our sin to hell and repenting of those things, we just kind of pet it. We try to treat it. We call it different names. Uh, I'm in no way endorsing this show or telling you to watch it, okay? So this is not an endorsement. But right when COVID hit, uh, the worst thing ever happened. This show called Tiger King came out on Netflix this is not an endorsement of the show. The show actually has a lot of sexual immorality to it, uh, but it highlights what's going on in this passage. Uh, sexual immorality, lust of the flesh, satisfaction of desires, uh, but that's not why I'm using this example. The man, the tiger king, I think he's in prison. Uh, he ran a zoo with all these exotic animals, and this dude is like weird, okay? Uh, he would treat like the exotic, like tigers, lions, uh, all these like apex predators essentially like they were his kids. Uh, and it's like this in all kinds of shows where there's like people who have pets that are predatory animals. Uh, at one point or another, the lion or the tiger or whatever, the mountain lion, whatever you like to think is a child, is going to get upset with you and attack you. But every single time we see that happen in a TV show, the owner of the animal is like, I can't believe the tiger attacked me. It's like, 
whoa, moron, the tiger by nature is like an apex predator. What did you think was going to happen to you? But we're really no different with our sin, especially things like sexual sin or lust or simply giving in to the desires of our flesh. And the easy thing to do with this sermon is make it all about, well, let me just attack all the men in the room about statistics with pornography. Uh, Some 70% of men watch porn regularly. I don't even know what the stat is. I just made that up on the fly because half of you lie about it anyway. It's alarming. But you know what happens with not just that, but any type of sexual sin like it? That's the most shameful type of sin. It's embarrassing to admit. If I admitted it, it could ruin my marriage. If I admitted it, it would make me quit my job. So what do we do? We, quit, we keep it quiet. Uh, we sit there and pet it. We try to tame it. We walk around with it. We keep it concealed. Days go by. Weeks go by. Maybe years go by without anything happening. And then, boom, it devours you. All because you've not done with it what Jesus is telling you to do. Uh, Paul says this in Colossians 3.5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put it to death. Don't try to tame it. Take that sin out and kill it. Paul says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That sounds serious, right? Look at our text this morning. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. What's the result if we don't deal seriously with our sin? Maybe I'm dumb, but when I hear things like the wrath of God is coming, or if you don't do this, your body will be thrown into hell, I don't think those are words that Jesus is trying to press to trigger us. Those are warnings. Those are things that we as Christians should take seriously. These are texts why a lot of pastors won't preach the Sermon on the Mount. Let me tell you how sexual sin creeps into your life because it's the most creative thing that can creep into your life and it's going to weave its way into you if you don't look for it. And I know for the next several minutes this sermon is going to sound like I'm exclusively coming at the men of this church, which might be true, but let me tell you about a little bit what culture looks like. Uh, These are statistics from 2019. Uh, So I'm sure like every other vice during COVID, this has probably shot up since these statistics. So this is March of 2019. As many as one in three women, 31% of women watch pornography every single week. Uh, The largest pornographic website on the internet uh, reports that women make up 29% of its global audience. So things like ungodly sexual desires, lust, sex outside the bounds of marriage, or simply marital unfaithfulness are not unique to just a male audience. Sexual temptation is what I would believe the number one enemy that attacks American culture. And it is, I'd put quite, quite a bit of money on it, the number one sin that stays revealed and concealed and hidden in our lives, bringing sometimes years and years and years of stored up chains of bondage that many of us carried in here this morning. So how does that creep in? Uh, it's interesting, we're doing, if you're in men's and women's Bible study, we're doing a study of the Proverbs. Uh, this week, oddly enough, on Tuesday, which is my sermon prep day, uh, I got up and I was doing my Bible study homework. I woke up, I was studying Proverbs 2. That was part of the homework. Uh, Proverbs, a book that's written all about wisdom, warning signs, uh, walking the righteous path, not staying on the wicked path. 
the father warning his son what to look out for. Uh, Proverbs 2, starting in verse 16, the father tells his son the value of wisdom. He says, so that you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So first off, when he calls that woman forbidden, uh, it means for the Israelite people, this is a woman who's foreign to them, uh, a woman who's foreign to their moral values. So how does that woman operate? Uh, it says, with her smooth words. Like quite literally in the Hebrew, that word is like a metaphor to her words are as smooth as butter. Also put, or sexual sin or promiscuity, all those things that the forbidden woman does is there to butter you up. And just think practically with me for a second on how this fleshes itself out in our lives. You go anywhere in public, uh, someone's provocatively dressed, that's buttering you up. You go to the gym, you're looking around, that butters you up. You go to work, you start getting friendly with a coworker, that butters you up. Those are just public interactions. Uh, go anywhere on social media, especially if you're a man, uh, whether it's people you know or ads that are run to target you. For me, it's people that slide up in my DMs, whatever. It's speech that butters you up. It's images that butter you up. Simply having time on your hands and being bored, having nothing to do, idle hands are the devil's workshop. You're being buttered up. If you think that the forbidden woman is just sitting there on the defensive, you need to quit lying to yourself. That woman is playing offense, and a lot of you in this room play defense like the Eagles did in the second half. You don't play any of it. So she butters you up, and why? The proverb goes on, because she has forsaken the companion of her youth and she forgets the covenant of her God. Uh, in that, there's no righteousness there. There's no good motives there. There's no morality there. It's straight evil. Playing offense, coming directly at you. And where does she take you? It says, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Again, a serious text. Uh, let your guard down. Give in to those desires. Seek and act on your temptations. It's like a house that you walk into that you know full well is going to sink down to death. The path leads to other people who have also gone down that path. They're also dead. And guess what? They don't come back. Uh, this kind of stuff will completely swallow you. But that's the thing. We play with our sin. We see the warning signs here that none who go to her will come back. We see what Christ is saying here in Matthew 5, that you keep it up, you're going to enter hell. But hey, at least you'll have both your eyes and your hands with you. Uh, Paul tells us in Colossians that if we don't put these things to death, if we don't kill them, the wrath of God is coming. Uh, in a couple weeks, I get to preach another fun text where there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. And Jesus would tell us that there's a whole lot of people who are walking through the wide gate, and where does that gate lead? To death and destruction. Are we supposed to just kind of cut out the warnings in the Bible and keep allowing our fleshly nature and our crooked sexual desires to take us over, all while not even heeding these warning signs? Our text this morning, again, is clear. If your right eye causes you to sin, rip it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. In 2023, if your phone causes you to stumble, get a flip phone. If a social media account causes you to wander, delete the social media account. If the places you go, whether it's work or the gym or wherever, stir up in you evil sexual desires, stop going. 
It's not your job to use that place as a mission field if that thing's impacting you far more than you're impacting it. None of us in this room are dumb. We all know what triggers those desires in us. If you cut those things out of your life, that's what you should do. This isn't anything to play with. Uh, James 1, 14 and 15, James tells us, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See the progression there. It's like a seed in the ground, right? It takes a little while if you plant seed in your front yard for it to grow into a plant or a tree. It starts as a seed. It's same with your sin. It doesn't start as full-blown sexual misconduct. It starts with just desires. Oh, this conversation's innocent. Or I'll just look over there. It's not a big deal. I'll watch that. I can handle it. I'm good. I'll just pet the tiger that lives in my house. Let that thing live. It will devour you. I'll be honest with you. I prayed all week long. Uh, We got together as elders on Thursday night and prayed for what I'm saying right now. Uh, I want this to be received in like the most gentle type of way. Uh, Men, I am not trying to beat you up this morning. I'm just trying to warn you. Uh, Women, if this is you and you're sucked into the changing tides of culture and being pulled into things like sexual sin, these are the same as it would be for men. These are stern warnings to listen to. Uh, Just our church, right? Uh, Someone asked me the other day, why do we have twice the amount of women in women's Bible study than uh, men's Bible study? We have like 105 women in women's Bible study, 43 men. Uh, My direct answer off the top of my head was because Stacey Hilby is a boss, okay? In all honesty, like, the women have done a far better job than the men here of building a culture, especially around Bible study. Uh, That has a lot to do with it. But I thought about this. I prayed about this in light of the text I'm about to preach. I'm just going to throw this out there. Sadly enough, it's the Christian men in the Christian subculture, not just Salt Church, who are lagging behind women when it should be the men who lead from the front. Men, if the women have a hundred, we should have a hundred and one. But it's hard for men to lead the church when there's passivity behind first leading your home. This isn't like a chauvinistic, anti-feminist, like man's up here, women are down here. I don't believe in any of that stuff. This is a biblical statement. Men, we are the ones that need to lead. Lead your wife lead your children, and then lead your church. This is how we are wired. But could it be, could it be the reason that Christian men are passive? Why we, or Desert Springs, where I was on staff for a year and a half, or whatever other church that does Bible study has half the attendance in the men's than the women's, could it be because statistically over half of us in this room have for years and years and years been tied up in chains of bondage because of hidden sexual sin that has never been dragged into the light for fear of embarrassment? And as a result, and I know this is hard to hear, as a result, those chains that you carry are killing you, and they're preventing you from leading your wife well. They're killing you from leading your kids well, and ultimately, they're holding back this church because the men don't lead. So I know this is all like super weighty. Some of you are like, bro, I could have heard Tim Tebow today. Um, I showed up here. You're just beating me up. Well, guess what? Sin's a weighty thing. This is a weighty thing. Bondage is a heavy thing. Why? Just personally. It prevents you from living in freedom. Uh, I prayed this week. Like, I prayed a lot this week. Like, God, 
Let Salt Church shine and just be an example for me. The only thing I can control is Salt Church. Uh, What if we were the church where the Spirit of God moved in such a way that lives actually got transformed? What if Salt Church is the example of men, or women for that matter, being freed from chains and bondage that we sit in? What if confession and repentance of sin was just a normal part of our culture here? I tell you what, we'd all be walking around in a lot more freedom with a lot less burdens on our back if that were the case. So hey, we're going to sing a song after I'm done preaching and all that stuff. If you need prayer for anything this morning, outside of what I'm preaching on, if you have trouble in your marriage, your house, you're sick, anything you need prayer for this morning, uh, there will be some people over by the prayer sign. We would love to pray with you this morning. Uh, But I did a lot of thinking about how to do this. Uh, If you grabbed a bulletin on your way in, and and if you didn't, you can grab one on your way out. Uh, You'll see the front of the bulletin today. The third thing, which is usually announcement, says elder email addresses. Uh, These guys get installed as elders in like two weeks. So I just look at them as elders right now. Uh, Brad, me, Daniil, and Scott. Um, Those are the four elders of this church. Um, Men, listen to me. If you need a safe space... If you need safe people, if you're sitting right there and you want to drag that sin in the light, email me, Brad, Scott, or Daniil. We'll talk with you on the phone. We'll meet you for coffee. We'll go to lunch with you. Uh, I say this a lot. The chains that you walked in here with today that are just absolutely prohibiting you from running this race well, those things can all be broken. Like, you don't have to wear them. Let it start with us. Uh, Let me end this with some encouragement. Uh, Paul tells us in Galatians 5.1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it's only Jesus Christ who frees us from our sin. It's only Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that paid for any sin that you could be walking around with deep shame for. And I want you to hear me really clear this morning. If you're struggling in this room with sexual sin, Christ is the only person who can offer you both forgiveness of sins and freedom from the chains of sin and death. By the cross of Christ, you have been forgiven. You know what Jesus would tell people when he'd heal people in the Gospels? He'd heal them, and then what would he say? He'd say, go and sin no more. So that's what I'm going to say to you this morning. Christ offers forgiveness. Run to him this morning, whatever that looks like for you. Realize that in him, there is no such thing as shame or bondage. Give those things to him. Drag your sin into the light and then go and sin no more. You don't have to live like that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for how great you are. Uh, Lord, I thank you for no matter how heavy of a limp we walk to you with, Uh, No matter if it's just bags of shame and brokenness from years of sin, uh, God, you are on the other end with open arms, uh, very much like the father was when the prodigal son came home. Uh, God, I pray that if anything's communicated this morning, God, I just pray it's so abundantly clear that, God, you are a God full of grace and you are a God full of forgiveness. Um, Father, I pray that we don't see our sin as entanglement, Uh, God, that we can see our sin as something that is supposed to be given to you. 
uh, something that's supposed to primarily be confessed to you, and then God confessed before other Christian brothers or sisters, our spouses, Lord, hard conversations that need to happen to root out in us just damaging effects that the enemy can do to us. Uh, so, Father, I pray that we could all just think of ourselves individually. Uh, we don't think of our spouse or the person sitting next to us. Uh, but, God, I just ask that this morning we could be honest with ourselves. Uh, Lord, what are those things that are just entangling us from running the race well? Uh, Lord, I pray for the men of this church that you would protect them from sexual temptation. Uh, Lord, relationships, uh, things that we can see on the internet or just things that are brought right in front of us, whether we ask for it or not. Uh, Father, I pray that you suppress desires in the men of this church. God, that you would bring the men of this church to repentance. Father, that this would be a place where the men could clearly lead your people. Uh, so God, whatever you have to root in out, out in us, God, I pray that you do that this morning. And Lord, that we can leave here knowing that you're the only one that can free us from those weights, God, and we can walk in the freedom that only your son, Jesus Christ, can offer us. God, I pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.